Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Morbid early and ad-free. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. You're listening to a Morbid Network podcast. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You'll always find the best of what you love or even something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every single genre, from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries, thrillers, which I'm super into lately, motivation, wellness, business, and even more. Audible's the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases and next listen recommendations to habituate every type of thriller listener. Keep your heart rate up month after month with this pulse-pounding collection that you can't hear anywhere else. I actually just finished listening to, it's one of my favorite stories, but listening to it was even cooler. It was The House Across the Lake by Riley Sager. It's narrated by Bernadette Dunn, and I think they just have one of the best voices for an audiobook. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash morbid or text morbid to 500-500. That's audible.com slash morbid or text morbid to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash morbid. Hey guys, I have to tell you about this all-in-one shake that I'm freaking loving. It's called Kachava. I love saying it. It's actually hands down the best thing that I've found to help me get all my essential nutrients into one day. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, in other words, literally everything that your body craves to feel your best. And I know what you're thinking. Something that good for me cannot possibly taste good. Mm, wrong. That's where Kachava really earns their over 52,000 five-star reviews. It actually tastes freaking amazing. It's very creamy and smooth, and it comes together with just water. And it comes in five delicious flavors. Personally, vanilla and chai are my personal favorites, but it also comes in chocolate, matcha, and coconut acai, which I still need to try. Some people like to drink it as part of a healthy breakfast or lunch, and other people love it as a protein-packed snack before or after a workout. It's really perfect for that because it has 25 grams of plant protein per serving. Personally, I like to add mine to my overnight oats. I add a scoop and I mix it all up to get a little more protein into my oats, and literally I can have that for breakfast and feel satiated, nourished, beautiful, functioning, all throughout my day. It's incredible. Please send me more of it because I love it so much. It makes me feel very, very good. And guess what, guys? Kachava is offering our listeners 10% off for a limited time. Just go to kachava.com slash morbid, spelled K-A-C-H-A-V-A, and get 10% off your first order. That's K-A-C-H-A-V-A.com slash morbid. Hey, weirdos, I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. And this is Morbid. We are finally at part four, and I can't wait to get out of this because this guy sucks. Yeah, this has been a really tough one. Actually, 
this morning at the freaking gym because of this case, I was literally sharding myself and my Whoa. little platform mugs. No, I didn't wear those to work out. Wow. But <laughs> so I, I wear like my like little slippers when I'm going in because I want to be comfy on the ride there. Of course. But I'm parking in this red sedan Ooh. out of all the fucking parking spots around me, like all the parking spots everywhere. This guy parks in front of my spot in his red ass car wow. staring at me. And all I could think of was Peter G.D. Sutcliffe, excuse me. And I, I ran inside of there and mama does not run. And in a red sedan. That's yeah. scary. My heart, I got into the gym and I work out with my friend and I was like, look at my hands. Look at my hands. I'm shaking. I was, I was Oof. very scared. Yeah. I don't love that. Mm-mm. This is, you know what it is? This case, it's, I mean, he's just awful and he's so brutal mm-hmm. and just like how this, these victims were treated in yeah. the press is just like a real bummer. Cause it's like in the grand scheme of things, this was not the 1800s, you know, like this was the 1970s into the early 1980. And it's like, that never should happen. Never, ever, 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 ever. But we've said it before that the the police department did apologize, like put out a formal apology after he died. Right. And um, Richard McCann, who was Wilma McCann's uh, son, he was five years old when she was killed. Oh my God. He like really led this. I like, I really encourage you guys to like look him up. I think he's on like social media and stuff. He does a lot of good with this stuff you know what i mean like he really is and he's very outspoken about it as he should be and he was really the one like leading the charge to get that formal apology and they all deserved they were they were like super instrumental like the victims families in making that happen so good for them they're really fucking impressive oh yeah he looks so much like his mom like he looks like he's a spitting image of his mom when i looked at him i was like oh my god you have her face like it's just i'm like oh and like he doesn't get to know her and that's like he was five that's the thing. and at five you know your mom yeah you know what i mean like you are connected you, like yeah but he you... never got the chance to like continue to like exactly. grow with her like that's what sucks and that's what people forget is these kids like so many what 26 orphans in this yeah. these kids a lot of them were of age where they had full-blown bonds with yeah. their mom some of them were like teenagers yeah when this like happened. they knew their mom they needed their mom they loved their mom like they this yeah. was huge losses this wasn't like i mean it's a loss at any age of but course. obviously when it's like a baby the memories aren't there so you just have to deal with a whole other kind of loss which is i never got to know her at all Mm -hmm. you know but like these are a different kind where it's like they had these memories right and they're gonna have these memories and then that's like such a hole yeah and and a lot of these women just like left home and said goodbye to them and said like i'll go to work i'll be back later like exactly one of them cooked dinner yeah of course they all did what they had to do as parents or moms they were and they left their kids like responsibly mm-hmm. like the, with babysitters with family members with you know spouses with yeah, trusted you know, adults yeah and it's like and then they were they were treated so shitty in the press and like that's the thing like i'll get to it at the, at the end but richard says something like you know like all these women were innocent like all of them yeah including my mom yeah and, like that's like we need to remember that so as we as we remember that, we're going to go into uh, the final three victims, which um, the final three victims um, were not working as sex workers, which is what shocked everybody because okay. he suddenly changed. You know, he had killed um, Jane McDonald, yep. but who was the 16 year old. But they were I think they were still confused about that. They didn't know if it was an accident that like. Right. But it didn't make sense because like. There's just no real, like, it, it, 
obviously he just hates women. And that's like right. the real, so pe- people really were looking for that pattern, but it's like, no, no, no. He just happened to be able to meet these women who happened to be sex workers because they were out at mm-hmm. that time. And as, I don't think it is truly only about what they did for work. No, and, I don't think so either. He kind of admits such later. He tries to go back and say like he was on a mission from God to kill sex workers. But in his own confession, he says at one point, I really just started wanting to kill women. Yeah, I mean, even some of the women that he attacked in the first place, he just quote unquote thought they looked like a good time gal. Yeah, which it's like, explain to me what that what means. What is that? Like, no, I I present as a woman. That's what yeah, that is. Like, I, can, I was out at a certain time. Right. That's what that means. Like, that's, you're an idiot. The other thing, is, like, that's the thing that pisses me off because that's something that we've mentioned. Like, you were just out at a certain time. Yeah. You have no idea what the fuck somebody's doing out. What if somebody, they could be out for any reason. They could be they out could because be... they just gave their parents some kind of medication that they yep. needed and they're walking home because they just had visitation with their child. They're walking home. Like They anything. could have had to run out to the pharmacy because they or someone they love in their house is sick, their yep. child, and they had to run and grab a thermometer. They had to run and grab some medicine. And like maybe had a cute outfit on yeah. because they give a shit about what they look yeah. like and they feel good. Or they were out at a bar. Mm-hmm. Or they were out at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Or they were hanging out with friends. They can do whatever the fuck they want. They're right. grown-ass people. There's, like, a, there's no woman curfew. It's ridiculous. And actually, Josephine, Joe Whitaker, our next victim, was coming home from her grandparents' house. Oh, my God. Wow. I, I didn't even know that. Like, that's the thing. It's like you, just, you led right into it. That it's like the, they were doing any number of things. And none of which meant that they should be stalked no. and attacked. No, no matter what they were doing. They weren't doing anything that they deserved to be attacked. And that's that's the bottom line there. But Josephine Joe Whitaker was 19 years old in 1979. She was described as fearless, a generous and kind girl. She was known to be very confident and friendly and not afraid of speaking to new people. Uh, people later said that even if she was approached by a man that night, she would have never assumed they were approaching her for nefarious reasons. She just wasn't scared of anyone. Like, she had no, she was very fearless. Hell yeah. And actually, later, Peter Sutcliffe, in his confession, said she did not seem startled by me at all. Wow. And did not seem scared of me. She was just a badass. Yeah, she was just like, fuck you, I'm taking a walk. I'm walking home. Like, so, yeah. She worked as a clerk for the Halifax Building Society, and on this particular day, Wednesday, April 4th, 1979, she had actually received a new silver watch that she was eager to show off to her family. Oh. She decided to stop at her grandparents' home on her way back from work. But when she got there, her grandmother was at some church function, and she actually wasn't going to be home until, like, 11 p.m., which, like, go grandma. They were going off at church that night. But Joe decided to wait for her because she was like, I yeah. want to hang out with her. And when she came home, they had a nice visit together for about an hour, hung out, talked. Sometime around midnight, Joe said she had to get home. And her grandparents were like, no, why don't you stay here? They were worried for her safety. Um, Joe insisted she was going to be fine. She told them, I'll get home safe and quick. Don't worry about it. Which breaks my heart. Yeah. So she headed away from Huddersfield Road and went towards the direction of Seville Park. Or Savile Park. I'm not exactly sure how to say it. Um, As she walked quickly home, Peter Sutcliffe approached her out of nowhere. He asked her where she was headed and asked if she knew the time. Uh, She, again, was not intimidated by him at all. And so she let her eyes go to the clock tower to tell him what time it was. Mm -hmm. And when she did this, he hit her in the head with a hammer. And she fell to the ground and he hit her again and again. And when she had stopped moving, he dragged her away into the darkness about 30 feet away. He truly escalated here. I just want to say this really quick. This is pretty graphic, so I apologize. Uh, It's like, it's terrible. 
So he had with him this time a sharpened Phillips head screwdriver. What the fuck? When uh, when he had brought her into the darkness off the roadway, he stabbed her 25 times in the chest, stomach, thighs, and in her vagina. Oh. He brutalized her body. And then he just dragged her back out of the darkness into that field and left her there. It's unreal. Yeah. The next morning, she was found by a woman waiting at the bus stop on the roadway. She noticed something off of the roadway a bit of a distance away, and she initially thought it was just a bundle of rags. Mm -hmm. But she was curious, and she walked closer and closer to it. And as she got closer, it became clear that this was a body of a woman. She immediately called the police from a phone booth. And meanwhile, a bus driver had driven past the scene and also noticed what was going on. They didn't know exactly what they were looking at either, but something about it, they said it chilled their blood and just implored them to call and report it. Isn't it crazy how, like, even if you don't see anything, there's just a feeling like, that lingers know. with mm-hmm. scary things like this? Exactly. Now, investigators showed up on scene and began to process. Um, she was kind of out in the open. There are crime scene photos, and it's really shocking where he left her. Uh, they actually first thought she had been hit by a car and had been thrown or oh, had wow. crawled to where she was lying. But when they got closer, they saw the absolute brutality inflicted upon her, the stab wounds and the head trauma. Uh, What's even worse is while this is happening, Joe's brother David was picking up some newspapers in the area to begin his paper route. No. He passed by this chaotic scene on Savile Park Road, and he was curious what was going on. He saw a bunch of police. So he peeked into the scene, and he noticed a shoe lying on the sidewalk, and he immediately recognized the shoe as his sister's. He tore out of there, ran home, and told his parents. Oh, my God. They checked Joe's bedroom, and she was nowhere to be found. Immediately, they called the police in a full-blown panic. Because they just assumed she had told them, I'm going to be home. Between these And they just assumed she would be in her bed. Yeah. Well, she I mean, she was just going to see her grandparents. Yeah. Now, George Oldfield was on the scene with the Ripper squad, and they were actually hesitant to call this one an official Ripper scene. Again, Joe was not a sex worker, but the injuries lined up perfectly. Mm-hmm. There was no question here. Yeah, and it's all within the same proximity. Yeah. There were reports that she had been seen earlier in the evening getting into a Ford Escort, but all of this was kind of bumbled because they were paying a ton of attention still to those two letters we talked about last episode. That weren't even from him. They were still really focused on those, and those letters had made it seem like he was from the North. So they were taking way more time up there, and they were really breaking stuff away. From local investigations. Then in June of that same year, more communication was sent that led to further divisions from investigating Joe Whitaker's death in particular. Um, It was nonsense, which makes it so much worse that they were paying attention to those letters because it was nonsense. Right. The communication that came in June was actual audio recordings that were received. Um, It was a cassette tape and it was received by George Oldfield. And this is what it said. It said, I'm Jack. I see you're still having no luck catching me. I have the greatest respect for you, George, but Lord, you are no nearer catching me now than four years ago when I started. I reckon your boys are letting you down, George. It can't be much good, can ya? The only time they came near me was a few months back in Chapelton when I was disturbed. Even then, it was a uniform copper, not a detective. I warned you in March that I'd strike again. Sorry it wasn't Bradford. I did promise you that, but I couldn't get there. I'm not quite sure when I will strike again, but it will definitely be sometime this year, maybe September or October, even sooner if I get the chance. I'm not sure where, maybe Manchester. I like it there. There's plenty of them knocking about. They never learn, do they, George? I bet you've warned them, but they never listen. At the rate I'm going, I should be in the book of records. I think it's 11 up to now, isn't it? 
Well, I'll keep on going for quite a while yet. I can't see myself being Nick just yet. Even if you do get near, I'll probably top myself first. Well, it's been nice chatting to you, George. Yours, Jack the Ripper. Wow. And that was audio. Weird. Want more from delivery? Well, Dash Pass is your door to $0 delivery fees and more on DoorDash. Dash Pass is the most affordable way to get anything in your area delivered to your door, helping you save money and time with every DoorDash order. DoorDash is like my Friday night thing. It's like my little treat yourself moment. First of all, they have a billion gajillion options to choose from. And I personally have the Dash Pass and it shows you what you save versus like if you didn't have it. My goodness, I have saved so much money on takeout. Plus, Dash Pass gives you special access to exclusive promotions and member-only menu items, all for only $9.99 a month. Kind of feels like it pays for itself in a weird way. Get more from delivery for less. Sign up for Dash Pass today, only on DoorDash. Use code MORBID and get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for Dash Pass. Subject to change, terms apply. One of the first things that I notice about people, it's going to sound so weird, but it's their teeth. I am obsessed with a good pair of teeth, and I always want to have a good pair of teeth. Do you even call them pairs of teeth? I don't think so. But anyways, achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners, you guys. Don't be surprised if all of a sudden your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? What's your secret about your pair of teeth? Why do they look so good? To get started, all you need to do is order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered right to your door. They make it easy to kick off your smile journey. Bites treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, they accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA or FSA. I freaking loved using my bite aligners. I would wear them during the day and nobody would even know that I was wearing them because they're kind of like invisible. It's pretty iconic. And my teeth, my pair of teeth look great. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code MORBID at bite.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with bite. Now, a few weeks after receiving these audio tapes, Oldfield held a press conference about them. He played pieces of the audio. He released only parts of the letters to press outlets. He wanted someone to maybe recognize the voice or manner of speaking and give them some kind of lead to work on. It was clear to investigators that the accent on the tapes was a northern accent. Mm. And it was the only thing they really felt they had to go on. But this was terrible because investigators ran with this idea. Yorkshire police sent a shit ton of resources up north, started completely abandoning all the other investigations. This fucked local Ripper investigations completely, especially Joe Whitaker right. and the ones after this. Right. Even though the police were now moving resources and causing more issues for themselves and the community, the press was still on their bullshit as well. Yeah. They were now touting another victim, Joe, as one of the quote unquote sad ones because she was not a sex worker. So she like, was no, the loss yeah. of any human life is pretty fucking sad. She and Jane were lauded as the true sad cases because they didn't ask for it, essentially. Oh, my God. They referred to her as absolutely respectable, which she was, but they never referred to any of the other ones like that. And that's where the issue arrives. It's just like to it's like for anyone to be that brutally murdered, no matter who the fuck they were, what the fuck they did. It's, no, 
tragic. It is beyond tragic. Well, and that's that's where the problem is too, because it's this is like a double-edged issue because it's like we're only calling certain women sad and tragic and innocent and not deserving of it, like, which is fucked you? up. But then on the other side of the whole thing, now those women are being are the ones who are like, well, oh, why are they the sad ones and blah blah blah? Because yeah. it's like. This is making issues for all of these victims' families, yep. all of them. Yeah, because now the the ones that are being t- lauded as the sad and innocent ones feel shitty that their loved ones, even though they are sad and are innocent, mm-hmm. are the only ones being lauded that way. But now it's like, they, it's but you should call everybody that. It's just, just yeah. what are you doing? Nobody it's, is it's a murder better, victim. Nobody's better than anybody. This is a murder victim. This is a human being with a family. No matter what, hundred percent across the board. Just report it the same way right. it's a woman just say that like ah i don't know why this was so hard for them now the distinction being made here is just constant the only good to come out of the press doing this in this case was that the press and the community were now pushing even harder against the yorkshire police to stop being quote lazy and indifferent to the brutal slayings of local women my god so the next one this was a truly success uh, this was a truly stressful time for anyone working the case because there were some good ones in there that were truly trying yeah, to work this case. There always are. But it was just being overshadowed by the the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially George Oldfield, he was under an immense amount of stress because as of the face of the investigation, he received all the flack and all the blame regardless. And in July 1979, shortly after the audio recordings were sent to him, he suffered a heart attack. And he actually had to be hospitalized for, like, a while. Oh, wow. Coincidentally, at the same time, another lead detective, Jim Hobson, we talked about him, I believe, in the first one. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, his wife had an accident. She fell down the stairs and fractured her skull. Oh, my gosh. And he had to care for her, so he had to take time off. Now, with the team's two most senior investigators gone, the case was somehow in even worse shape. Yeah. Not only were they just completely lacking evidence or any leads, but there were also infightings between departments. The Yorkshire police and the Northern Police Force were a mess of different opinions about the authenticity of the letters and the audio. Senior officials believed they were real and were treating it the investigation as such. Because they were unable to get it together for even a second, and a lot of them were bumbling and ego-driven, Peter Sutcliffe was able to just coast into Bradford unnoticed on September 1st, 1979. Great. And these some of the local officers didn't think that those letters were authentic. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people in a lot of community. So it was just all these different opinions, and they just had to listen to the senior investigators who were running with this. It's like egos. So September 1st, 1979, 19-year-old college student Barbara Leach was out in Bradford as well. His last few victims are among the youngest. Yeah. She was a student at Bradford University, and she was out celebrating a new semester with a ton of her friends from school. They were hanging out at Manville Arms, which was a pub that a lot of students went to on Great Horton Road near the university. They were just doing what college students do, eating, having a beer, listening to music dancing just hanging out they went here a lot so they knew all the bartenders they knew all the people who worked there um and about 11 p.m is when the place closed but this group of friends and including barbara they always made it a habit to stay later and help the owner roy evans clean and close the bar up wow yeah they did this this night as well and they left around 12 45 by this time it had begun to rain lightly 
And Barbara's friends were trying to get a cab, but she waited a minute and then she was like, you know what? I actually like walking in the rain, so I'm going to take a walk. Her roommates had waited up for her over an hour because she didn't have a key to get in, so they Mm -hmm. were going to let her in. And she didn't show up and they figured, you know, she must have stopped somewhere with the friends she was out with. She wasn't alone. Yeah. As far as they knew. Mm -hmm. So they were like, oh, she just must be somewhere else. And again, no cell phones or anything. This is 79. So they went to bed. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, the next day, they woke up and Barbara still wasn't home. This is when they panicked and they were like, do we report her missing? Do we call people? They started calling around being like, where is she? Do you know? They didn't. They're college kids. They don't like they're like going to say you're 19 years old. I don't know if she's just staying over someone's house. Like, yeah, we don't want to make a big stink of this. We don't have to. But they're kind of discussing it with themselves. And then around 4 p.m., police constable Simon Greaves was walking his beat um, around the university and in one of the yards off Back Ash Grove. He found a pile of garbage along a wall, one of the walls that looked strange and out of place to him. Mm-hmm. When he got closer, he saw under a dirty old carpet and a pile of bricks, the body of Barbara Leach. A pile of bricks. Yep. Now, David Gee in the Ripper Squad was called onto the scene, and it was clear she was another victim on the list. She had been hit in the head at least once with a hammer. Her shirt was pushed up and she had been stabbed in the stomach and shoulder eight times with a screwdriver. My God. Her pants were also unbuttoned and pulled halfway down, but there was no evidence of semen or rape. So it seems like he does this sometimes just to like shame them probably. Yeah. Yep. So investigator Gil Rain made, this was the guy that was lead in this area. He made another headquarters at the Bradford station. We now have... Probably like a dozen evidence incident rooms here. That's what I was spread just, out like, everywhere. Why are there a million and forty two of these? And all of these incident rooms and evidence areas are spread out, so they all have different evidence in different areas that Whose none of them are communicating. Like, yeah, why is this happening like this? But he tried to gather the Ripper Squad, but most of them were up north chasing the bullshit letter leads. Things got messy. They got complex real fast. They couldn't handle the tips coming in because they didn't have enough officers down there. Right. The crime scene had no evidence that they could actually use. And that was a really active neighborhood. A lot of students went through there, Mm -hmm. but no one had any information. That's crazy. Yeah. Again, the press went wild with this murder. It was another woman who did not work as a sex worker. And this meant that the idea that no woman was safe was now a reality. This made people lose it. They believed the police could not keep them safe anymore. They were were not feeling protected by the police. No, they would just they were like, "This is just going to keep happening, right?" With no resolution. So one year after Barbara Leach's murder, this was interesting. Uh, Britain's National Union of Students held an emergency meeting in Kent. They ended up petitioning for the right of women students to carry weapons on campus to protect themselves. Yeah, because the cops couldn't do it for them. I mean, yeah. They also petitioned for better lighting on campuses and in parking lots. How fucked is it that you have to yeah, petition, petition for stuff like that? It's like, just put up fucking lights. Yeah. And they also ended up, the university changed schedules so that classes would end earlier when it was still daylight That's out, good. Which was really good. And <laughs> at, University's doing what they need to do. Yeah, exactly. And at the same time, a professor at Bradford University where uh, Barbara had gone, mm-hmm. her name was uh, Professor Hillier, Hillary Rose, 
She wrote a letter to the Times and she criticized the police in their investigation into Barbara's murder. She pointed out some serious flaws and mistakes that happened, including them interviewing boys at the university that would have been barely 14 at the first Ripper killing. Oh my God. They were even interviewing boys who had entered campus as students in 1980, a year after Barbara was killed. Just wasting time and resources. Those guys weren't even on campus. It's like, whose idea was that even? Yeah, so, like, why are you interviewing them? They were definitely not of age to commit that first killing. No. Like, they can't even drive. Exactly. And this That's guy has a, waste a car. Of time. Like, come on. Especially. And he's been described as somebody in his 30s. He's been described as somebody in his 30s. They talk about a car mm-hmm. every single time. It's like, come on, guys. And he's got a full beard. They also, like a 14 year old. The profiler thought he had like a wife or a partner yeah. at home. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, like, this is not your. We're 12 murders deep and seven attacks or somewhere around seven attacks deep. And you think, and this you is think a it's 14 a 14 year old kid? Like, come on. Guys, you're waiting. And it's wasting time and resources. And it's also like, like I'm sure some of these women were like bigger than a 14 year old kid. Of course. Like, he's going to overpower them yeah and and of course it's because like there was the letters were not giving anything right like this audio is not giving anything and you're spending all your time doing that all your time interviewing these children essentially that weren't even on the campus or near the campus when this happened no so investigators went back to past victims because they were just like where do we even go from here grasping at straws so they started going back to past victims and they started piecing through the evidence from the beginning again Mm mm-hmm because they're like, we missed something, obviously. <laughs> Duh. And they looked at cars and they re-interviewed a lot of people. In fact, in October... No, don't you even. They went back to Peter's fucking house and re-interviewed him again. But the third time wasn't a charm? Oh, no. At the end of this, he was interviewed, formally interviewed at least nine to ten times. And he was interacted with upwards of 19 times for this investigation. 19 times and because no officers shared information with each other and all those evidence rooms and incident rooms were all separate and they all didn't had had their own set of evidence no they it was a shit show no one re-interviewing him this day knew that there were heavy suspicions on him at one point at all he was a nameless random guy to them that just popped up in the files so he told them that the night barbara was killed he was home doing repairs on his house and sonia was like yeah he was because she didn't know what time that happened. Is she thinking, like, why have you been interviewed by police this many well, times? Well, she's like, I don't know. Like, she's because they were interviewing a shit ton of guys. So right. she's probably, he's probably telling her, like, you know, I drive a car that looks like that. And yep. that's why I'm going to be on this list. Or, like, yeah. He, I'm sure he's telling her things and she's like, okay. Well, one time he was interviewed at work, too. So she may not yeah. have even known. But oh my God. Yeah. It's also like, does, does any of you have an instinct? Well, and none of them are really following up on alibis either they're just taking (gasps) face value alibis from these people who are like well i was just doing this and they're like cool like do you think the killer is gonna be like fuck yeah you got me yeah i guess i have no alibi like 90 i'm I'm pulling that on my butt but i'm like jesus christ so many of them have alibis absolutely and then 90 percent of the time you check their alibi boom that's how you get them it's ridiculous wow so following the death of Barbara Leach, investigators continued their emphasis on the Ripper letters in an investigation in Northern England that would eventually cost more than one million pounds. Weirdly, wow. this lead this led to absolutely not a shred 
of a lead at all. You gotta Shocking. go. I really gotta go. So Sutcliffe went quite, he went kind of quiet for a little while until June-ish of 1980. So a few months at least. Because he felt it getting hot, I'm he sure. He was feeling the heat. Now when, um, and this is when police saw his car speeding on Manningham Lane. Mm-hmm. Now remember, in um, October of 79, he had been interviewed again. Yes. June of 1980, suddenly police see his car they don't know it's his car at first, speeding down Manningham Lane. So they follow him home. And they stopped him in his driveway, and they talked to him, and they found out that he was very drunk. Oh. And neighbors said that he they could hear him, like, fighting with the officers about taking a breathalyzer that evening. Oh, shit. He was yelling. He was clearly drunk. He blew as such on a breathalyzer and was brought in and arrested. He was literally brought to the fucking police station, and he ended up having his license suspended. And wow. later they made him lose that later that would make him lose his job as a lorry driver when he was convicted. Oh, yeah. But at this time when he was arrested, one of the officers who had spoken to Sutcliffe filed a report suggesting that the Ripper squad look into Sutcliffe as a potential suspect. So at least somebody's got one an of these officers was like, something's weird here. Yeah. Maybe you should look at him. He was told that they, they had already looked into him and he was ruled out. They weren't going to talk to him again. Yeah, let's not re-interview anyone. So this officer is saying, something's telling me that we need to look further into them. And they're like, eh. Are you kidding me? Let's just look into those fake letters some more. Yeah, Yeah, that seems more. That makes sense. So Wednesday, August 20th, 1980, only a month or so later, he was back at it again. 47-year-old Marguerite Margot Walls was leaving her job at the Department of Education and Science. She was going to go on vacation the following day, so she had stayed a bit late to make sure that everything was taken care of. going off on vacation. She walked into the Leeds evening, and after walking a busier section, she turned into a more secluded area to get to her home. Mm -hmm. She was very close to her home. When suddenly, Sutcliffe stepped out in front of her, and before she could even react, he hit her in the head with a hammer. My God. Then he looped a ligature around her neck and dragged her by her neck to the shadows of a private terrace. Jesus. There, he strangled her to death. Then he stripped everything off of her but her tights and dragged her body over to a garden wall where he put her under leaves and grass cuttings. Wow. The next morning, two gardeners found her and called police, who arrived very shortly. Um... Detective Hobson was back on the case at this point, um, and he wasn't convinced this was a ripper murder, which I, I understand that. Yeah, total change um, of Margo motive. wasn't a sex worker, and she wasn't stabbed. And she was also stripped completely and was strangled with a ligature, which was definitely all new for the ripper. Yeah, he'd never used it. No. Was there one that had ligature marks around her wrist? There was some, like, I think there was some thought that that could have happened, but he, it wasn't a But this time something. it was for sure. And this and is around like, her neck. Exactly. Another headquarters was set up at Pudsey's police station. Because that's going yeah. so well. And after canvassing the neighborhood, they turned up nothing once again. Hobson basically treated this as an isolated incident. And he told the press and the public this was not a Ripper victim. She actually wasn't, she was not a victim officially until he was, uh, Sutcliffe was actually arrested later. Oh, wow. And the, the ligature was found in his possession. He still had it. He had pieces of the ligature. Oh. He denied he killed her at first, but later confessed and said he wanted to kill a sex worker in Leeds that evening, but he had forgotten his knife and his screwdriver and had to make do with whatever he had in the car. And that's why that was different. Oh, okay. Just one month after this, he came back to Leeds for another victim. So now he's like, boom, 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 like month, month, month. He went to Headingley, which was not a typical location for him. 
it was suburban. It was well lit, trafficked very heavily and kind of bougie a little bit. Bougie. Thank you. But on the evening of September 24th, Dr. Upadya Bandara, I believe that's how you say it. I looked it up. Um, a 35-year-old doctor from Singapore who was attending Leeds University on a scholarship from the World Health Organization. Oh, my God. Yeah. Brilliance. Was visiting some friends and then had been on her way down Oldley Road to go home. Mm -hmm. She passed by a Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurant, and she said she saw a man staring at her. Mm. And he was in the restaurant, but she, like, staring out at her. And she was like, uh, yeah, that, it unnerved her. And yeah. so she kept walking and, like, hurried up a little bit. Isn't it sad that as a woman, like, you know exactly. Yeah. Like, like, I gotta like, get yep, out of here. Like, I mm -hmm. feel something. She turned down Chapel Lane as a shortcut, and as she rushed to get down to the other street that was more lit, she was suddenly hit in the head with something and fell so he ran out of that Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurant and ran up behind her to hit her. And there was no one else in this restaurant? And he just must have rushed out of there. Wow. I have no idea. But Sutcliffe then looped a ligature around her neck and tried to choke her. But someone came out of their house hearing the commotion nearby, and he freaked out and left. Meanwhile, Dr. Bandera is just laying there bleeding yeah, from the from head the now. Head. Luckily, the neighbor who had come out called police immediately... And Detective Newton arrived on the scene. This was also not initially looked at as a ripper attack. Again, because it's so different. But they definitely connected it to Margot Walls mm -hmm. because of the ligature and everything. Did they think there was some kind of copycat sort of They didn't going even on? think that. They thought this was just a different Total situation. Different Unfortunately, she, um, Dr. Bandera could only say that he was, quote, a man aged about 25, 5 foot 4, with black hair, a full beard, and mustache, which I think they, they, you said that that wasn't enough. And I was like, that was a pretty good description considering she got hit on the head. Yeah, from like, behind. Yeah, like and she'd um, only seen his face in the KFC restaurant, yeah. like walking by. And also, yeah, she nailed that. I was going to say, <laughs> that was like a great description. Uh -huh. But no one else could help. There was no other witnesses, and that was all they had. Right. And Dr. Bandera ended up actually taking a long time to recover from this. And then she returned to Singapore. She left. Which I, I don't blame. Her I would at have all. gotten the fuck out of there. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story, taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. It is right up my alley. You can collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character as you go along playing. Play as June Parker and investigate beautifully detailed scenes of the 1920s whilst uncovering the mystery of her sister murder. With hundreds of mind-teasing puzzles, the next clue is always within reach. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. One of my favorite parts of the game was creating my own estate island. I thought that was so much fun, and I also love chatting with other players. Relax and lose yourself in this captivating quest of mystery, murder, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. 
We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Now, barely over a month later on November 5th, he was out again. Jesus. But in, now he's month, month, month. Yeah. And this time he was in West Yorkshire. And this night, he saw 16-year-old Teresa Sykes, who was out buying cigarettes. She had run out on the errand and was only 50 yards away from her apartment that she shared with her boyfriend and their infant son. He snuck up behind her and struck her with a hammer out of nowhere. She fell to the ground, and as she looked up at him, he hit her again. He thought she would be unconscious because that was normally the case after the second hammer hit, but she was not. She started screaming and fighting, and he bled because he was he's not used to them making noise and he i mean he's barely in a secluded area no and he his whole mo is incapacity mm-hmm, right away immediately yep. like no noise no nothing so when there's noise or any kind of chaos he, he gets out of there her boyfriend actually heard the screaming because he was only 50 yards away in the apartment yeah and f- ran out and found her in the grass oh my God. he called for police and unfortunately she couldn't give it really any information except that he had a beard and mustache but that did help and again i mean she was hit from behind and then already thrown off guard when she saw his face and that does match the other descriptions beard and mustache yep and she luckily survived good so less than two weeks later peter was out again and ready to kill. November 17th, he called Sonia and told her he was working late and that she shouldn't wake up, wait up for him. She was actually pissed. She was like, what the hell? But she was like, what can I do? Whatever. Mm -hmm. So he was lying. Obviously, he was actually on his way to Headingley in Leeds again. At the same time, 20-year-old University of Leeds student Jacqueline Hill was attending a seminar. And she was very kind, smart, very popular with her peers, she was, an ex- she was very, very, very close to her parents and actually chose to stay at the University of Leeds just to be close for the, to them. Aww. She had a boyfriend that she was like, that she really cared about. Yeah. And she could have gone to any university she wanted to. She but was she that smart. she loved her family. Now, she seemed like an all around delightful person and a very smart person, which all of these women seemed like they had so much to fucking offer mm-hmm. and so much to get done. They all had like Goals. aspirations. They were all on the road, no matter if it was a tough road or not, they all had this like thing that they wanted at the end of yeah, it. Yeah, they had big dreams. Yeah. Um, her mother had actually been very nervous about the Ripper murders recently and had given her a lot of tips to stay safe. Oh. She left the seminar around 9, 9.15, and it was around 9.30 when Peter Sutcliffe saw her as she got off the bus outside of that same Kentucky Fried Chicken. Interesting. She went down Alma Road, which was dark but not unsafe just not well lit. Mm -hmm. And she was literally a hundred yards from her apartment when Peter appeared behind her and hit her on the head with the hammer. Her purse and glasses fell to the ground immediately. And once she fell, he dragged her into the darkness behind the Arndale shopping center. And he pulled her clothing up and began stabbing her in a frenzy. He stabbed her in the chest, stomach, and the left eye. Oh my God. Then he left her here. What the fuck? Later during his confessions... What he said about this was her eyes were wide open and she seemed to be looking at me with an accusing stare. This shook me a bit and I jabbed the screwdriver into her eye, but they stayed open and I felt worse than ever. Oh my God. That was brutal. And looking at you with an accusing stare? an accusing stare. 
you're yeah, stabbing her. Dude. Like, are you kidding me? Around 10 p.m., a student from the university named Amir Hussein was walking in that area, and he found the purse. Now, he took the purse back to his apartment because one of his roommates was a former police officer. Or was a police officer, but I believe from um, in Hong Kong. Okay. But he was here at the university taking classes. Mm-hmm. So he brought it there being like, hey, I found this. Like, what do we do? Yeah. So... They called the police because they were like, what the hell? And um, they actually found uh, blood smears on the purse. And that's what really made them be like, shit. Jesus. Also, don't touch that. Don't touch that. Now, one of the roommates spoke later and said that the officers who arrived at the apartment, quote, seemed more interested in filling out a lost property form rather than investigating the blood smears. And <laughs> they had to convince the officers to investigate the surrounding area for the source of the blood. They would only do it after a cup of coffee. I don't even have It gets words. worse. No. Then they took three to four minutes peeking around the area where the purse was found, said everything looks fine, and they went back to the station. Uh, oh, good. I feel safe. Well, the next morning, an employee of the shopping center arrived at work and found Jacqueline's body. Those officers should have all been written up. Oh, it gets even worse least. because guess where she was found? She was found covered with her own coat and was literally 30 yards from where her purse was. Are you joking? They were standing there for three to four minutes looking around, and she was 30 yards away. And did anything happen to these officers that you could Probably find? Probably not. I couldn't find anything. Bullshit. It was clear she had been hit in the head and stabbed many times. Even with David Gee on the scene for this one, they still didn't believe it was a Ripper murder. In fact, they held a press conference where they said, we have no reason to suspect that the Ripper is involved. We cannot rule out him out, but we have nothing to suggest it was him. I mean, this one is nothing m- like pretty. She was hit in the head with a hammer and stabbed. And stabbed and then like discarded. Yeah. Pretty brutally. publicly. I'm without words for how they didn't connect this one, but like, okay. David Gee mentioned the similarities after her autopsy, and only then did George Oldfield get called in to Leeds to take a look at this, Mm -hmm. because he was back on the scene. November 20th, he actually held another press conference where he said that original statement was bullshit about Uh this not being a Ripper case, and he he said they were urging women, quote, to not travel alone if you can possibly help it. No woman is safe until this man is caught, Mm -hmm. which... Yes. Yeah. Um, This one finally officially got linked the next day with a memo out to all stations that this was a Ripper killing. Okay. Finally something. So on November 25th, detectives in Milgarth at that that headquarters received an anonymous letter. And it read, To whom it may concern, I am writing to inform you that I have every good reason to believe I know the man you are looking for in the Ripper case. It is an incident which happened within the last five years. I cannot give any date or place or any details without myself being known to the Ripper or you if this is the man. It is only until recently that something came to my notice, and now a lot of things fit into place. I can only tell you one to two things which fit, for example. This man has had dealings with sex workers and always had a thing about them. Also, he is a long-distance lorry driver, collecting engineering items, etc., I am quite sure if you check up on dates, etc., you may find something. His name and address is Peter Sutcliffe, 5 Garden Lane, Heaton, Bradford. Did Sonia write that? The letter was received by Detective Sergeant Boot and marked Action to Trace, Interview Sutcliffe, and Priority Number 1 when it was received. Before handing it off to a policewoman to be processed with other credible leads, 
oh, great. Like, here we are. It's going to be processed. Here we go. We got it. Like, they, they have a name. Let me guess. There was a clerical era. It was ignored. No clerical era. They just ignored it. What? In fact, when Sutcliffe was arrested in 1981, that letter was still sitting in the same basket that it had been placed in. It had never been touched. Oh, my God. That How letter was later? read, and then it was put in a basket and never moved again. And How this is many? somebody, this is at least a year later, and it's still sitting in the basket. Wow. Somebody wrote in saying, I know this man could, but you need Here's to look into this man. Address. Here's his name and address. And it is a name that you have spoken to at least nine other times, and you left it in a basket? Do we ever find out who wrote that? That letter Sonia. was written by none other than Peter. Than Trevor Birdsall. Finally, this motherfucker comes around, honestly. Trevor, who was in the car when Sutcliffe committed that first attack on that unknown woman who was never named with the rocks and mm -hmm. a sock. Yep. The Trevor, that Trevor, he was ready to lead police to his former friend who he just knew was the Ripper. Good. And he said, I looked back. And I didn't want to think it was him, but too many things lined up and I could not live he with myself. He came around. Good. Finally. When, when no one replied to the letter or followed up with him, Trevor actually went down to the police station himself in person, spoke to police and gave them an in-person statement about this. They took the statement, they filed it, but they never followed up on it or even passed the statement to any senior officer. How, do, how are you that careless? It was placed in a drawer and it wasn't seen again until after Sutcliffe was arrested in 1981. This is why people get the balls to do things like because this. Because of this shit. This is exactly why. And this is what the police state, uh, department apologized for when he died. years later. Because they were like, that was bullshit. Actually, more than 20 <laughs> well, years They were later. like, that was a lot of bullshit. And we're different now. And they literally are like, I promise, like, we, we look into these things now. Now, at this point, investigators were still sold on the idea that the original hoax letters and the audio message was the real Ripper. You're spending a lot of time on, like, a random piece of paper yeah. and a random tape, like, when you should really just yeah. be out on the streets talking to people and maybe looking at letters that you've already received. Yeah. But the public and a lot of professionals were not sold at all and were questioning what the investigators were fucking thinking. Right. So in early December 1980, Jack Windsor Lewis, who is a linguist, he examined the letters himself. Okay. And, it's, and he actually publicly stated that he believed the letters were very much a hoax. And he said, even though it is definitely, he under, in his opinion, not the real Ripper, there was a possibility that they would be able to identify the writer by his characteristics, like spelling, punctuation, weight of writing. Mm -hmm. So he actually suggested and really urged the Yorkshire police to release the full letters to the public. Okay. Because he believed if you release that full audio and you release the letters, they are definitely connected. This is the same person in his opinion. Sure. So we're looking for one person who has done a really fucking shitty thing and yeah. has derailed this entire or like investigation. Yeah. So put it out there. And he said, because there's so many specific things in each of these that are very specific to this person, he said, I think if you put them out there, someone will recognize him the through writing. that. And he said, that's how distinct I think they are. And even the voice. Yeah. Yeah. But they did do that eventually, but not a lot was coming from it. Don't worry, though. They find out who it was. And he, does he get in trouble? He sure does. Good. Now, on January 2nd, 1981, Olivia Rivers had been working on the streets in Sheffield for a few hours when she came upon Peter Sutcliffe, a little after 9 p.m. 
Apparently, Sutcliffe had actually approached her friend, but her friend had actually denied him because she told Olivia there was something in his eyes that scared me. Wow. And she literally was like, no, I don't want your business. Uh-huh. Like, no, no. Olivia apparently didn't think so. She said it, he, she wasn't scared of him. Okay. So she got in the car. He was just talking to her, she said. And he kept talking about his wife and he was being strange and she was just kind of like, uh. So she was like, I'd really like to just get this over with and get the fuck out of your car. Yeah, like, what are we doing? But here, while dude? they're talking and she's trying to convince him, like, can we hurry this along? A police officer pulled up behind them. Uh-huh. Sutcliffe told Olivia immediately, you have to say you're my girlfriend. Uh-huh. And she was like, okay. So the police approach. Olivia knows this isn't going to work because Sutcliffe had, one, he had a phony registration. Yeah. He had stolen a registration. Oh, my God. So that's bad. But the officer recognized Olivia. <laughs> like, she had been arrested a few times okay. for solicitation and all that. So sure. she knew. She was like, <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm your girlfriend. They know me. She's like, like I literally not... know that guy. Yeah, she was like, they know I'm not. So she was just like... <laughs> But she was like, that's weird that, like, like I why know. would I but need to say that? They were both arrested. But before he was taken to the car in cuffs, Sutcliffe told Sergeant Ring, the arresting officer, I have to pee. Uh-huh. So Ring let him duck behind a bush and pee. Then he came back and was arrested. Uh-huh. Which that comes back later. Just remember that he let him pee. He let him go off into the darkness and pee. Okay. And then come back. Okay. So Sutcliffe was interrogated for hours at the station, but it was about solicitation and about the stealing registrations. It yeah. wasn't about anything else. Sonia was actually, like, she called the station because she heard he was arrested. The police told him her the charges were solicitation and stealing. Oh, honey. But because of the recent murders, police had been told that they had to report all suspicious men who were arrested in the company of sex workers to the Ripper Squad mm -hmm. and George Oldfield. The which, only which Ripper Squad though? Well, that's I'm like the, the I think it was like the main one. That's the only smart thing they did was finally put that into yeah. place. I mean, that's just fucking like I feel like I could come up with that exactly. <laughs> but the next day, Sutcliffe was moved to do uh, Dewsbury Station and interviewed further. Weirdos, we cover some spooky stories, but truly nothing is scarier than the thought of hens being trapped in their cages. That like really upsets me to my core. But at Happy Egg, all of their hens roam on eight or more acres of land, leaving no mystery to why their eggs are the best. They're cared for by small family farmers and they live their best hen lives day in and day out. You go, Hennifer. Aside from their hens roaming across eight plus acres of farmland, they have plenty of access to fresh water and nutritious feed. I love that. This goes above traditional free-range farming, but it's what they believe is better for their birds overall. And all of this results in eggs with the most plump, delicious, sexy orange yolks that are full of flavors. I am personally so obsessed with Happy Egg that last Sunday I used my last Happy Egg and I almost started to cry. And then I scoured the internet for the closest Happy Egg near me and it was 30 minutes away. And I genuinely plan to convince Drew to drive all the way out there and get them with me, but I couldn't. And that's why I need Happy Eggs to please send me a carton of eggs every week. I love you. Thank you so much. So next time you're at the store, though, look for the yellow carton. Choose Happy. Visit happyegg.com slash morbid to find a store near you. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. 
To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Things he said were starting to line up and George Oldfield was like, um, wait a second. Finally. The, He's the mentioning things- his white, he, that he had a white Ford Corsair at one point. He mentioned his job as a lorry driver and that his job schedule, you know, what it was. And they're thinking about that letter they're and like, they're thinking about, up. then they started looking into the investigation and seeing that his name came up quite a few times. Finally. And then there was something that wasn't released to the public and, and didn't until after this. There was blood found on some of the victims, or excuse me, there was evidence found on some of the victims that this, that was a rare blood type. Ah. And they found it at several of the scenes, but they were never able to use it. Uh Uh-huh. Guess whose blood type that matched? Peter Sutcliffe. Peter Sutcliffe. Who knew? Wow. So Sergeant Ring, the arresting officer, arrived at the station that night, and he's like, holy shit, I might have caught the ripper. Like, that's wild. And he's like, ooh, okay. And then he's like, Oh, shit. I, I let, let him, him pee, pee behind a bush before I arrested him. Then he was like, huh, I actually think I heard metal hit the ground before he got in the police car. Oh, So shit. he went back to the area Why and did looked. I not even think that yeah. he, he discarded something? Yeah. He looked where he peed. He found a ball-peen hammer and a large knife on the ground. That fucker was able to ditch the murder weapons in front of the police. Wow. And Olivia was about to be killed. Can you imagine how she felt when she realized that? Thank goodness. That she wasn't. So now investigators. Sorry. Her friend was probably like, I fucking told you. Yeah, she's like, I knew I felt something with this guy. Never doubted that girl's intuition. Don't doubt your gut. Mm -mm, Or your friends. Don't doubt your gut. And if your friends feel something, at least listen to it. So now investigators are like, wow. um, So maybe he is our guy. And soon they discovered that all his alibis were shit and they fell apart. Wow, imagine and, if you had just followed up on the first one. And Sonia gave them the real deal on where he actually was on nights he came he claimed to be home. She was like, oh no, he wasn't. Like they were like, Sonia, he said that he was home on these days. And she's like, fuck no, he wasn't. Oh, good. Yeah, she was like, I'm not gonna sit here lying for you. Like, good. fuck you. I thought you meant like she had lied in the past. Oh, and no. I was like, what? She as far as I could tell, she told what she knew. Yeah, and that's it. Then she didn't know other stuff. No, when he said he was home with Sonia on the night he was arrested, she was like, No, Mm-mm. he called me and said he was working late. Like she was like, I'm not gonna bullshit for you. Yeah, because she finds out what yeah. he's arrested for. She's like, Fuck fucking you. gloves are off, brother. So after days of being interrogated and the murder weapons being found, and finally things starting to fall into place, Jesus Christ, Sutcliffe finally, and she, he's still getting hammered, investigated. He finally looked at Detective Inspector John Boyle, who was the acting head of the Ripper Squad at this point, and said, "I think you're leading up to the Yorkshire Ripper." And he said, and the detective was like. What about the Yorkshire Ripper? And Peter leaned back in his pl- in in the chair, mm-hmm. looked at him, and said, "Well, that's me." Ugh. So this fucker literally was like, "Guys, it's me." Like the, the, even they weren't like, hey, "We know it's you." It's like dude, you had to. He was the one who had to say it. Are so you kidding me, everybody? 
he made an almost 24-hour confession of all his crimes. Wow. Now, during this whole thing, he denied ever sending those letters or the audio. Yeah. And he said he never communicated to the press or investigators. He was like, I didn't want to get caught. Oh, so he never did send letters. He never sent any of them. Oh, okay. Those were not him. I thought you had said that he did send some of his own. No, he was. So he was, they thought he did. And they were really, that third letter especially, they really thought was him. The first two, they were like, that's a hoax. I was convinced it was a hoax. I was like, yeah. That third one, they were really looking at, but it was not him. Ah. They were that he claims he didn't send anything. I mean, it does make like it does make sense. He doesn't want to get caught. Yeah, and he also said Joan Harrison, the Preston seventy five that was mentioned in the letters uh-huh. that they, they claimed responsibility for. He said that was not one of my victims. Okay, and honestly, like. Why would he deny one if he really did it? Yeah. He admitted all the rest. Uh-huh. And investigators still believed he was the killer of Harrison and actually were pretty convinced he had a partner for a, a little while. Oh. Uh, he didn't. Okay. And he wasn't. Okay. Uh, they did eventually remove her name from the official victim list, but it took a while. Uh, and did... You know they found they... her killer. Oh, okay. Good. Um, this this even kind of contradicted their own belief during the original parts of the investigation, because they interviewed Sutcliffe, like I said, over nine times, and they said his voice and handwriting didn't match the letter and tapes. So that was enough for them to rule him out. But now they're still trying to say that, like, the guy who wrote the letters and did the auto tape is the Ripper. Like, they were still holding on to that idea. Even when he said he didn't do it, they were like, you no, wrote you those did. letters and you sent that audio. But then there were things in the files that said Sutcliffe's words, like uh, voice and handwriting, did didn't not match. match. So, so how are you? Th- yeah. Those are two conflicting ideas, guys. Like, right. Figure what? it out, y'all. The identity of the letter writer and tape sender went unknown until 2005. Wow. More than 25 years later. Damn, your ass was already out of high school. Yep. It was a man named John Humble. Fuck And his that attorney guy. said he was a substance abuser who thought the whole thing was just a joke. Oh, yeah, that's silly. He was charged with perverting justice Good. and fuck that guy. He went to jail for eight years. Good. He definitely should have gone for longer as far as I'm concerned. Definitely. And but... during, this is wild, during this time, Sutcliffe wrote him a letter in jail. That should not be allowed. And it's wild. This guy is a dick of the highest order. He doesn't have, like, he definitely has blood on his hands for what he did. Yeah, absolutely. Because he, he derailed the investigation. In a huge and he, way. And those last three murders, he, he should feel guilt. all the guilt for mm-hmm, those. Absolutely. But Sutcliffe acts like because of him, those three girls died. No, 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 no. No, that's like, not the case. He absolutely has guilt. Led and he derailed the investigation and he had a hand in that happening and that in Sutcliffe not being caught. But his but hand Sutcliffe was not murdered those girls. Yeah, his like, hand was not holding a hammer. No. And it's like, and this is just one of those things where Sutcliffe is removing blame from himself and acting fucking yeah. high and mighty. It's John and it's God. Exactly. So in this letter, so according to the Sunderland Echo, he wrote, you could have saved those three women, John. You have blood on your hands. Oh, fuck off. You could even end up in Broadmoor with me. That's where you belong. I have just heard that you got eight years in prison on Tuesday for the crimes you committed. I'm not surprised that you got that length of time because what you did was very bad indeed. Are you shitting me? My dude, you have now had your 15 minutes of fame and you have reopened old wounds again and put me back in the media spotlight. I do not need this now or ever again. The same thing will happen when you're released. I hope you get some treatment for your problems, John, because you are very ill indeed. Be strong. God will look after you. And and he ended, your friend, Peter. 
I I don't have words. Are you looking in the mirror when you say any of this? My just like to be that unaware. That just off on a different planet. Just I have no responsibility for these on because the again, of narcissism. John Humble blame is owed mm -hmm. on him. Mm -hmm. He derailed that investigation. Anybody who does hoax shit during stuff like this derails an investigation. Blood on your hands. Absolutely. But you are not a murderer. No. You did not actively do it. And for the murderer to think he has some kind of high and mighty stance over that, no. We can all sit there. Yeah, of And course. we can say he has blood on his hands. But you, sir, sit down. are the fucking murderer. You shut the fuck up and sit over there. Exactly. Like, are you kidding me? You have no high ground here. None. Get out of here. None. So that's ridiculous. But as for the murder of Joan Harrison... Like I said, her killer wasn't finally found, but not till 2011. Oh, my God. They were able to use DNA evidence to trace the crime to Christopher Smith, who was a violent sex offender and criminal from Leeds. He actually died in 2008. Oh. But in his apartment, they found a letter that said, I can't go on with my guilt. I have lived with it for over 20 years. I am truly sorry for all the pain I have caused. Wow. So unfortunately, he escaped the justice he deserved, but at least a name was put to the crime and hopefully Joan's family can at least have yeah. that. Do you know if that's the only woman he killed or is known to have killed? Uh, I think that's the only one that I know of, but I didn't look further into that case. Right. But maybe I will just look into that case for that. Yeah. Um. So on Monday, January 5th, 1981, that's when the news went public in Sheffield um, that they had arrested a man in Sheffield that they believe to be the Yorkshire Ripper. Uh, Chief Constable Gregory told the media, we are absolutely delighted about the developments at this stage. And he said that they were immediately scaling down the search for the Ripper because right. they believe this was him. Now, Sutcliffe was held at Armory Jail in Leeds, and he was indicted for 13 murders and seven attempted murders. Oh, God. He pled guilty, but his defense was going to be that he was temporarily deranged and would be putting forth a defense of diminished capacity. Yeah, I'm so sure. Now, he was very with it, very open, very detail-oriented when he was interrogated by the police. But as soon as he got a defense attorney, suddenly he was hearing voices. And he Gee was whiz. not understanding and not getting it. It, it was a very clear, very clear shift. Um, and he played right into it. He said he was given a divine mission from God to kill sex workers. And he said, I would have kept going if I wasn't caught. He was interviewed 11 times by a doctor, Dr. Hugo Mil Milney, I believe it is, but it was a defense team mm. doctor. And he testified that he had um, a schizophrenic illness is how he referred to it. Mm -hmm. Now, just to be clear, Sonia was diagnosed with schizophrenia when she went through her time when she was trying to go through school and had like yeah. kind of a breakdown. Sure. She was diagnosed with schizophrenia, but she was managing her symptoms and she was going to therapy and she was thriving. Yeah. You know, but so this is interesting because so what they think later is that Peter was her primary caregiver uh -huh. throughout that whole thing. Uh huh. He knew what the he symptoms of schizophrenia are, are. He knows what what the what the um, outbursts would be, mm -hmm. what he the quiet periods it. would be. He knows how to imitate that. Yeah. He knows what it looks like. How he's been doing this for that, years. That his wife actually mm -hmm. suffered from that. Yeah. And he's using that for his own gain. Exactly. Now, Peter Sutcliffe's trial began on May 4th, 1981. And the defense he was going with, the mental illness defense, um... It was basically they had two psychiatrists, that first one. They had a second one who said that 
he was, um, he at times smiled, almost giggled when we were discussing very serious things. I, I think he's just an asshole yeah, who likes to kill so women. Too. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Uh-huh. Like, let's be real. But again, they were going with the, they believed he could be schizophrenic or have schizophrenic tendencies. And they said that he was only killing women because he had hallucinations. Okay. But the prosecutor, Attorney General Sir Michael Hargreaves, uh, he was like, no, I think these um, psychiatrists prompted him a lot during uh, these interviews. And they had recordings of it. And they were like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you were you led him to that yeah. conclusion. And it's very clear. And he actually said, all doctors do it. And he said, but some prompt a little harder than others. And you God. did. Yeah. He also pointed out that in the hours and hours of interrogations and interviews that this side of him never came out. Right, exactly. But suddenly, after getting a defense team, he's a different guy with a different motive. Like, no. Imagine that. And again, they said he's convincing portraying someone with schizophrenic symptoms because he spent years living with a wife who was being treated for those symptoms. Sure. And he himself had to help her manage them. Uh Uh-huh. So, no. The Crown was like, fuck that. That's and so maintained that he was just a cold-blooded, calculated murderer who had made this up because he knew he was going to... And this is literally a quote, yeah. by the way. This is a quote from the uh, the Crown. He was a cold-blooded, calculated murderer who has made this up because he knew he was going to go to the quote-unquote loony bin for 10 years instead of 30 years in prison. Mm-hmm. As further evidence, uh, the prosecutor said that one of the defense's witnesses, Dr. Hugo Milne, actually acknowledged that he had caught Sutcliffe lying several times. Dude, you're going to sign off on that? And so he said, yeah, I guess it's pretty possible that he was lying about the hallucinations, too. Yeah, if you caught him, if there's a precedent for lying, my guy. And finally... They pointed out, okay, if he's on this God-given mission to kill sex workers, what about the ones that weren't sex workers? Yeah. And the defense was like, well, he had mistaken those women for sex workers. Jesus Christ. First of all, explained, and they literally were like, explain to me. Why? How? How? Yeah. What was going on? Mm -hmm. Was it Jane in her gingham skirt, 16 years old? ridiculous like what was it what exactly and what was it that made you think the other ones when you didn't initially walk up to them and strike a deal what made you think those were yeah what exactly is it is it a pair of pants that they're wearing is it a certain skirt they're wearing is it some way they wear their hair what is it no it's their women explain it but yeah it was ridiculous so basically it just came down to the fact that Sutcliffe confessed he confessed lucidly clearly He did not mince words. He did not say that he was having God hallucinations telling him to do this. And they also reiterated all the facts of him being completely different until that defense team got in his ear. And after a six-hour deliberation, the jury voted 10 to 2 in favor of convicting Sutcliffe on 13 counts of murder. Good. So on May 22nd, 1981, he was sentenced to life in prison. Bye. Uh, the judge spoke right to him in love the that. I always in love the thing, and he said, "Quote: He was recommending quote an unusually long period of incarceration because I believe you are an unusually dangerous man. I hope that when I have said life in wh- I hope that when I have said life imprisonment, it will mean precisely that." Mm-hmm. So yeah. So he's sent there for life. And in the years following his conviction and sentencing, he actually bounced back and forth between Parkhurst Prison and Broadmoor Hospital. So he was treated for certain things. Um, He also became kind of a target from other inmates. Um, In 1997, his cellmate stabbed him in the eye. 
Oh, so that's interesting. Sonia Sutcliffe uh, stayed in the house that they lived in on Garden Lane, but she did file for divorce, and they were divorced by 1994. She got remarried. I kind of love that she got the house. She just stayed in the house. She's like, that's my fucking house. That was her dream house. Yeah, she's not going to let that man ruin it for her. She And again, he he ended up confessing to things that they hadn't initially, like, like uh, attached to him before so they believe the number could be even higher yeah like we don't even know that and in december of 1981 lawrence byford was actually uh put on to lead an investigation into the investigation (laughs) so he had to look at it time and he concluded that the investigators had made many errors countless he said and they engaged in very poor practices that they he said absolutely stopped them from stopping him earlier yeah Absolutely. And he said the poor communication between these departments was the number one error that they had in the five years that he was active. Again, he was interviewed at least nine times officially. He was known to be in these areas. He drove the cars that these people saw him in. But they they set up all these different fucking evidence rooms everywhere. Mm-hmm. And none of them were going. There was no cataloging across the departments. So crazy. Things were thrown in a basket and ignored. Like, it's ridiculous. It's also nuts that that was just five years. Yeah. Because the five just years. like sitting listening to this story, I'm like, this sounds like it was like a 15-year long period. Yeah. And they, he also pointed out that them putting so much emphasis on those letters and that audio tape significantly significantly hindered them stopping him before he killed the final three victims i totally believe that and he actually said sutcliffe was never regarded as suspect because of undue reliance on the sunderland letters and tape which served to eliminate him it's outrageous like it at the end of it it really was like this investigation cost a shit ton of money and it almost let him go yeah like it almost let him go a shit ton of money so many lives. What would have happened had he not been pulled over with Olivia? Exactly. And in November of 2020, Peter Sutcliffe was diagnosed with COVID. Uh, and he died at University Hospital in North Durham. He was 74 years old. I hope it was fucking miserable. Brutal. And it was after his death that the police force apologized to the victim's families for how the case was handled, how their loved ones were spoken about in the press. Uh, the force chief at the time, Chief Constable John Robbins, said the language used at the time was, quote, as wrong then as it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, uh, quote, on behalf of West Yorkshire police, I apologize for the additional distress and anxiety caused to all relatives by the language, tone and terminology used by senior officers at the time in relation to Peter Sutcliffe's victims. Such language and attitudes may have reflected wider societal attitudes of the day, but it was wrong, is wrong then as it is now. Absolutely. A huge number of officers worked to identify and bring Peter Sutcliffe to justice, and it is a shame that their hard work was overshadowed by the language of senior officers used at the time, the effect of which is still felt today by surviving relatives. Um, he said, luckily, those attitudes are co-signed to history, and our approach excuse me, consigned to history, and our approach today is wholly victim-focused, putting them at the center of everything we do. Good. Now, Richard McCann, who I spoke of before, Wilma McCann's uh, son, who was five at the time, um, like I said, he was the one who really, like, he, he headed this up to get that apology. 
Um, he wanted her, he said for her to be described as anything other than an innocent victim is just unacceptable. Of course it is. And he was quoted as saying, my mom and all those other women were completely innocent and deserve to live. Mm-hmm. And with that, the Yorkshire Ripper is dead. The police department apologized. And hopefully some of these family members got any kind of peace from it. You would, you would hope but for them. That is the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe. Wow. Good fucking written. Another is what dissertation I say. from Alina Irk. Oof. That was truly so, oy. so just anger producing. Yeah. Like, I'm truly, so angry. Truly, 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 truly. The fact that so many lives could have been saved if they yeah. had just organized that, even slightly. Yeah. Even just like cut down a couple of those truly uh, posts and everything. It's you know? outrageous. Like, and I God. also I have to thank our like really good friend, love of our lives, David White, for helping me with this. He's a badass uh, with this research because he's such a badass, and this was such a daunting task. So I just gotta thank him because he's a fucking trooper. He's a gem and a half. Uh, yeah, he's a fucking trooper for helping out with this, and I thank him. He's the he's the wool. He the is. love of our life. He really is. The Lul. Lul. And so is Mikey. Yeah. And Mikey. Yeah. You know? We just love, we love some people. We, you have, know? So many, we have so many Luls. <laughs> we do. Um. Well, yeah. So with yeah. that being said, we hope that you keep listening. And we hope you keep it weird. It's so weird that you're one of our Luls. Yay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>